Breath. All right, friends, this is Daily Power Parsha. Today is Tuesday, July 6th, and we have a lot of Torah to cover. Let me see what we got over here um, with our Torah reading. Okay, I'm going to share the screen with you, and then we're going to do this together so that we are on the same page. Okay, we did this yesterday. We talked about, this is the second reading. We talked about... Um, the war with Midian and the aftermath of the war, and there was a lot of uh, incredibly successful Jewish campaign in this war against Midian. Um, we talked about how God said to avenge the honor of the Jewish people, and God said, and and Moshe said, we're avenging the honor of Hashem of God. How each one is worried about the other's honor, which is the best type of fight, right? The best type of fight is who loves the other more. Right? Not who loves the self more. Most fights are, yeah, a clash of egos. Like, I love me and you love you, and now we're fighting because I want what I want, you want your one. But imagine if I want, I care about you more than myself, and you care about me than yourself, and now the fight is who can give more to the other? That's, that's a pretty good fight. I wouldn't call that a fight. I would call that. Love. That's a good thing. Anyway, so back to our story. So there's this war against Midian to either avenge the honor of God or the Jewish people. Successful. Um, the men are killed. The women that were involved in the sinning were killed. And, um, and that, that was that. And there were a lot of animals and other things that came back. And those were divided amongst the people and as donations for the temple or for the Mishkan. So that was basically what we spoke about. We also spoke about yesterday a modern day a mystical understanding of the war against Midian. Why is it an eternal call for battle? And why is it Moshe's final, Moses' final, kind of his last, you know, act as a leader? And we explain in Kabbalah, and for those of you that joined me for Kabbalah and Coffee for this course a little while ago, we did this when we were back in person. Also, I think we did this a little bit on Zoom. Trying to remember if I think we finished it on Zoom as well. Anyway, the idea of Midian is divisiveness, dissent, fighting against each other, and the idea that and the idea is that we need to fight the fighting. We need to eliminate the fighting and get along. And that is Moshe's final final battle, the final frontier, if you will, the final step before we, we reach the promised land, so to speak, is getting rid of that which divides us from inside. And it's usually about ego. Ego is the great divider. So that's, it's about really checking oneself and checking um, the negative forces inside oneself. That is the spiritual message of this battle that we spoke about yesterday. Now let's go to the third reading for today. Today is Tuesday. Don't forget, we have a double reading this week. So every reading is kind of like supersized. So this reading talks about a fascinating story about the division of the land. All right, let's jump in. Numbers chapter 32, Lev. 32 is the numerology of Lev Lamed Bet, which is heart. The heart of numbers is right here. And you'll see that this is a story of love. This is a love story. Um, let's jump in. The descendants of Reuben and God. Those are two of the 12 tribes. So the descendants of these two tribes had an abundance of livestock. They had a lot of animals. Very numerous. And they saw the land of Yazer. Ja Jazer, I don't know, Yazer in Hebrew, and the land of Gil Gilad. And behold, the place was a place for livestock. Let me explain. 
You know this by now, because I'm trying to drill this in every class, just so you know. Because there's no, there's no mitzvah, I mean, there is a mitzvah study Torah, whatever context, but there's no, it, it's, it puts us at a disadvantage if it's kind of like floating out in the middle of nowhere. This Torah, Torah is grounded in time and place. So we're talking about the year 2488 from creation. We're talking about the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan, on the east of the land of Israel. So this is to the east of the Jordan River. That's where the Jews are, and now the Torah is telling us what happens. In that space, in that land, outside of the land of Israel, there are two tribes, Reuben and God, who have a lot of livestock. And they see that in the local territories, not Israel, in the local territories outside of Israel, it's a place that would work out very well for livestock. Why would it work out well for livestock? Listen, I'm not a, I'm not a shepherd, I'm not a farmer, but, he, but I can figure it out. If you have a lot of animals, the animals need land. They need good land. They need land that's appropriate for grazing. This was a good land. They determined that this would be perfect for their utilities. By the way, even in Pittsburgh, guess what there is? LaCroix. Yes. You saw it here first. Verse number two. So what happens? They approach Moses. The descendants of God and the descendants of Reuben came, and they spoke to Moses and to Elazar the Kohen, who was the high priest, actually, and to the princes of the community, the leaders of the people, saying they made a declaration. And they said the following. They named a bunch of cities. Atarot, Dibon, Yazer, Nimra, Cheshbon, Elale, Svam, Nevai, and Ve'ain. I'm doing kind of the, uh, the Hebrew versions of these. They said all these cities, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, the land, let's continue, verse four, the land, let's see, wait, who just joined us? Chana, welcome, it's great to have you, good to see you. So all of these cities, right, right here, all these cities, the land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel, in other words, the land that we just captured in this war against Midian, right, you're with me on this? They just captured land, or they just defeated a nation that killed all the men, and they took people captive, and, and I mean, there was like a whole situation. So you can imagine, now there's a lot of land. So the land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. And, get this, your servants, in other words, we have livestock. So you have now God and Ruvain, to, to the tribes, telling Moshe and Elazar and the leaders, saying, we want to stay here. There's good land here. So they said the following. They said, if it pleases you, if you're cool with it, let this land be given to your servants as a heritage. Do not take us across the Jordan. We want to stay here, outside of Israel, in the plains of Moab, or in that general vicinity, east of the Holy Land. Don't take us across the Yardin. Don't take us across the Jordan. We don't want to inherit a place, a piece of the land. I, I know you know this. Because we talked about it literally last week or two weeks ago. The land was divided by Moses and the talking lottery. Raise your hand if you remember the talking lottery. Yes, talking lotteries. Yes, no, maybe. Okay, thank you. So, yes, there was a talking lottery that divided the land and every tribe had got a piece of the land. And now you have two tribes saying, by the way, we actually are cool here. We don't want to go into Israel. 
So now Moses reacts very harshly. Moses is not pleased. And, and let me just tell this to you up front. I'm not going to tell it to you soon. I'll tell it to you right now. This triggered Moshe. This triggered him. You know, it's like a... It's a it's, um, I actually read an interesting article that they're saying not to use the word trigger because the word trigger could be a trigger. You with me on this? So use a different phraseology than, than, oh, this is a trigger word, because trigger word itself, that phrase, is also a trigger word. Back to our story, um, not talking about triggers, but this was a trigger for Moshe. Because if you recall, why did they wander for 40 years in the desert? Help me out. Why did they wander for 40 years in the desert? Why are they in the holding pattern? Because the prior generation did not want to leave and go into Israel. That is like the best way that you could ever say that. It's perfect. Because the prior generation did not want to leave the desert, did not want to go to the Holy Land. And now what's happening? Reuben and God say to Moshe, by the way, we don't want to go into the land. And this absolutely triggered Moshe. Absolutely triggered him. Let's see what happens. Uh, six. Thereupon Moses said to the descendants of God and the sons of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you stay here? Is it, so, so you're telling me that you're just going to, you're good. You're done. No more travels for you guys. You got the animals. You got the land. That's it. You're comfortable. And so everyone else, your brothers and sisters, right? Everyone else should go out to war to conquer the land of Israel. And y'all are just here. Just sitting on your fields and enjoying life and sipping a pina colada or a strawberry daiquiri. And that's it. And you're fine with that. That's a problem. That's number one. Not fair that you're just going to sit here and everyone else goes out to war. Number two, why do you discourage the children of Israel from crossing over to the land which the Lord has given them? In other words, what does that mean, discourage? You're saying you don't want to go in. What's going to happen? The other tribes are going to say, oh, why, why don't they want to go in? Because of the land? Sure, they're afraid. And then they're going to get afraid. And it's going to be the same story as 40 years ago. In fact, this is not my analysis of Moses. This is Moses' words. This is what your fathers did when I... This is literally Moshe telling them. This is what your... Reuven God. This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. That's the spies. Moshe, I, I'm not reading into the story. This is literally the story. Moshe says, this is exactly what happened 40 years ago. I sent them into the land. Let's continue verse 9. They went up to the valley of Eshkol, and they saw the land, and they discouraged the children of Israel from crossing into the land, which the Lord has given them. And you're doing the same thing. They discouraged them 40 years ago. And as Moses said a few verses ago, you're doing the same thing. Discourage. Same word. And Rabbi, by the way, yeah. Rabbi, I think it was last week, Wednesday night Torah portion. I believe it was then. You know, you said once we, 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 we achieve, you know, we uh, go over one obstacle or challenge, the next one comes. Yeah, there you go. 40 years later, he's like, I've seen this movie. It doesn't end well. It's not a good, it's not a good, it's not, it's not a good move. It's not a good play. And, wh and what was the aftermath 40 years ago of the net, of, of the discourage, of the discouragement, whatever the word is. Verse 10, 
the anger of the Lord flared on that day, on the day that the spies came back with a negative report and everybody started crying and they all became discouraged. And God swore, saying, verse 11, none of the men from the age of 20 years and over who came out of Egypt will see the land that I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, for they did not follow me wholeheartedly. You know what wholeheartedly means? Wholeheartedly means no questions asked. Wholeheartedly means... I'm not going to start overthinking this. I'm not going to decide whether or not it's doable. I'm going to follow God because God is who I follow. But they didn't, God says. They didn't. Well, this is Moses saying what God felt. So God felt that they didn't follow me wholeheartedly. So God says, so you're not going to go in. That's it. You're stuck now 40 years. Except the only people that did follow me, God says in Moses' words, again, Moses is speaking, not God, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, the Kenizzite, that was one of the two good spies, and the other was Joshua, the son of Nun, who would be the new leader, um, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. So again, this wholeheartedly is very important. You know, the, the language, even though it's English, I'm very, I commend, I'm going to applaud, a bit of a silent, applaud, uh, silent applause over here. I'm going to applaud the translators here for sticking to a word in the translation consistently. You have oftentimes where translators, meaning well, decide they don't want to use the same word again and again, so they use like synonyms. But meanwhile, then you miss out on the precision of the Hebrew because the Hebrew was precise. And when you have a precise translation, it's, it, it works better. So we have a repetition of twice. There's twice the word, is discour the word discourage is used, right? Why do you discourage the children of Israel today? Don't you know that your parents... The previous generation, the spies discouraged the children of Israel 40 years ago. So we have discouraged, discouraged, and now you have wholeheartedly, right? The people didn't follow me wholeheartedly. The only ones who did were Caleb and Joshua, and they're going to go in. What's the point? It's, it, they're polar opposites. Discouraged and wholeheartedly are the, are the opposite. Wholeheartedly means that you're going in. You're following God. It makes sense. It doesn't make sense. You understand it. You don't understand it. It doesn't matter. Wholeheartedly means you're not overthinking it. God says go. You, you're in. God says, jump, how high? Right, that cliche. What's discourage? Discourage means, let's think about things. Let's analyze things. Let's have a committee. Let's have a meeting. Let's set up a vad. Vad is like, uh, in Hebrew, vad is a, a board, right? Let's set up a thing and let's think about it. Let's strategize. So the spies came back. We can't do it. We should do it. We shouldn't do it. Discouraging. Once you're overthinking it, then you're not wholehearted anymore. You see the difference? And it's not necessarily like brain versus heart, although maybe it is also, but it's more of just, am I in or am I in my head, right? Am I all in or am I in my head? And you and I know this in our lives. There are moments in which we suspend logic, we suspend fear, and we just jump in. And sometimes we're like, well, this, that, or the other, analysis, paralysis by analysis, and we don't go in. And what happened 40 years prior, Moses said, is that they came back, negative report, and everyone started thinking, how are we going to do it? Will we be successful? Will the giants or the other people kill us? Oh, no, it's not going to be good. And you start thinking about it, and you're done. You're not wholehearted. The antidote to discouraging is following wholehearted, being all in and not thinking about it too much. Let's continue. Moses continues. Again, this is all Moses' response to the two tribes who requested the land outside of Israel. This is still Moses. I told you you got triggered. This is still Moses talking to them or, yeah, talking to them harshly. The anger, he's going back still 40 years. The anger of the Lord flared against Israel 40 years ago. And he made them wander in the desert. That's not my word. That's the Torah's words. For 40 years. 
In the Hebrew, it's va va yini'em. That's the verb. He made them wander. For 40 years. Verb. Yeah, adjective. Verb. And he made them wander in the desert for 40 years until the entire generation who had done evil in the eyes of the Lord had died out. And behold, now Moses brings us out of them. In case they were wondering why Moses is giving them a history lesson, now it comes in full circle. And behold, you, you meaning Reuben and God, you two tribes, you have now risen in place of your fathers. That, this is, this is strong language. You have now risen in place of your fathers as a society of sinful people. Not my words. Right here. To add to the wrathful anger of the Lord against Israel. You are doing the same thing as your fathers. You're now in the place of your fathers. You are, you are now the society of sinful people. Let's uh, copyright that. That's a fantastic name if that's your thing. Right? It's a society for sinful, of sinful people. And you are going to bring God's anger against the Jewish people. And verse 15, what's going to happen? Says Moses, if you turn away from following him, he will leave you in the desert again and you will destroy this entire people. You are on the precipice of pushing a button of doom. Do not do it, says Moses. The button was pressed 40 years ago and it blew up, and you're about, your finger's on the, on the button again. Yeah, that's a pretty strong response. Verse 16. I love how they, they answer him very calmly. <laughs> point by point. Moses makes two points. It was a bit of a long response, but there were two points. Number one, should you sit here and enjoy the good life while your brothers fight? That's not fair. Why do you get to not why do you get to just sit back and relax? That's one point. And the second point was you're gonna discourage the people, God's gonna get angry, and there's gonna be another decree against the people. And I'm not gonna be around to to, to to save you guys. I mean he didn't say that, I'm saying that. So they answer the points one by one. There's two points. You're, it's not fair that you're not fighting with your brothers and how could you do this, essentially? So they approached him and said, oh, it looks like we're getting cut off right here. Oof, this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. They approached him and said, we will build sheep folds for our livestock here and cities for our children. They're, so far, they're not answering anything. Like, yeah, I know that's what you want to do. You want to build... Gidre's sign? I don't know. Sheepfolds? Really? Sheepfold? I don't know what a sheepfold is. But Gidre's sign means pens. Gidre's are pens. Maybe that's what sheepfolds are. It's like pens. Pens for the sheep. Um, the typo, sheepholds, maybe, instead of the F. Oh, I don't know. I'm, I've already been wary of calling out typos on this stuff because right. then I Google it. I'm like, whoops, <laughs> I just didn't know it. But anyway, it could be. Anyway, sheep folds, sheep holds, who knows. But places for the sheep to live and hang out. 
for our livestock here in cities for our children. So, so far, they're not answering any claims. They're just saying what they want, but we kind of know what they wanted. But they're building up to something which answers the first, um, uh, the first pushback of Moses. We will then listen to this. In other words, the point is, we're going to do that quickly, and then we will, we will then arm ourselves quickly and go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. What they're clarifying is, what they're saying is to clarify is, we're not asking for this land right here and then say, don't forget to write, good luck with the wars, we'll see you later, because that's, no. What they're saying is, let, let, let's clarify our request. We're not, we're not um, bowing out of, of, the, of the battles. We're going to build the, the pens and the cities for our kids. We'll do that quickly. And then we're going to quickly gear up for battle. And we're going to go before the children of Israel. Lifnei b'nei Israel. Before means front lines. They said to Moses, your concern, your first concern is that we don't want to, that we're, that we're essentially bowing out of, of, of conquering the land, the helping conquer the land. Let's clarify, that's not our intention. In fact, we're going to take care of business here quickly, and then we're going to be in the front lines. Front lines. Our children will reside in the fortified cities on account of the inhabitants of the land. In other words, we need to secure our families first. We're going to quickly build fortified cities and put up the proper protection because there's still hostile neighbors around. But we're going to go to the front lines. We shall not return home. We shall not return to our homes until each of the children of Israel has taken possession of his inheritance. If you think that our intention is to sit here and let everybody else do what they want to do, but it's not my business, not our business, that's not true, that's not correct, that's not the intention, but let's clarify that. Now, the truth is, they didn't explain what... what they, they didn't give a proper proposal in all fairness to Moshe. They just said, we want to live here, the land is good. Right? Moshe had no idea. He's not a mind reader. How is he supposed to know what they, what they had in mind? So it's good, it's good that they had this dialogue. It's good that they have this conversation so that they can clarify. Moses says, is it right? Let's go back to the actual claim. Um, Shall your brethren go to war while you stay here? And then the other one is about discouraging. But that, there were two points. So to answer the first point, Shall your brethren go to war while you stay here? The answer is no. We're not going to stay here while our brethren go to war. We're going to quickly build... This depends in the fortified cities for our families and the livestock, but then we will go to war with our brethren and the front lines. That's how they clarify it. And we're not going to go home until everybody is safe, until every other tribe has their place to live. Then we go home. That's their pledge. We'll go in the front lines, and we're not going home until everyone is okay. We're going to fight by their side in the front of everybody. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond. In other words, they're doubling down on the request. We're not going to inherit with them there in Israel because our inheritance, this is a, a bold claim, this is their request, but they're stating it as a fact almost, because our inheritance has come to us on the east bank of the Jordan. We found our land. We're going to be here. We're not going to be there, but we're still committed to fight. Now, this is, again, in the middle of the dialogue, because Moshe had two issues. Number one, you're gonna, you're, it's not right that you don't fight. 
with everybody else. And number two, you're going to discourage them. The truth is, the first answer already, I think, is helpful for the second piece of it. Are you with me? It's like the whole discouraging is if they settle and say, we're not going into Israel, we're not going to fight, and the implication is that, that everyone thinks that they're afraid, then they're going to get afraid. If they see these guys saying, listen, it's literally about the land and the livestock and the cities, maybe there's nice parks and a school system, I don't know, but whatever, that was a joke, but you know, it's like, let's settle this land, but we're not afraid, we're going to go in front lines. Well, maybe that also addresses the second question about discouraging the other people because it's not discouraging. But the dialogue will continue. I, I, we're doing this tomorrow. Um, oh, and there's no in-person class tomorrow because I'm still out of town. Right? I'm broadcasting from Pittsburgh, as I mentioned. So, um, so there's no class in-person tomorrow, but there is on Zoom. So we'll continue this tomorrow. Um, Moses' response, and then their response, and how the issue is resolved. But, again, the core idea here is that Moses says two things. Number one, it's not right that you don't fight with your brothers. And number two, you're going to discourage them. And really to answer, I think, both in one fell swoop, they're saying, that's not our intention. We're going to fight with them. So number one, we're not going to bow out of the fight. We'll be there. We'll be on the front lines. And it won't discourage them either, because why would they be discouraged? They're only discouraged if they think that we think that that can't be done. And then maybe they're going to start having second thoughts. But we don't doubt it. We're going to be in the front lines. We, we believe it, etc. Okay, I hope that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes-ish. The real question here is, if we're being honest, let me just quickly scroll through Rashi. Um, here, let, let's do this Rashi quickly. When Moshe says, Moses says, why do you discourage the, your brothers? So Rashi clarifies, you turn aside and dissuade their hearts from crossing, for they will think that you are afraid to cross because of the war and the, city, and the strength of the cities and the people. In other words, if you settle here, they're going to think that it's because you're afraid, and then they're going to get afraid. All right, anyway, um, he says that's what happened 40 years ago. Kalish Barnea, um, Caleb, Joshua, wander, uh, wander and in exile. Okay, we, uh, good, 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 good. Oh, haha, let's do this one. Let's do this Rashi. When, when the tribes come back to Moses, this was at the end of what we just read, and said, listen, we're going to fight, but first we're going to build the sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our children, take a look at Rashi. They were more concerned about their possessions than about their sons and daughters, since they mentioned their livestock before their children. You see that? They said, no, Moses, we're going to go to war, but first we're going to quickly build the stuff for our livestock and the cities for our children. So they, they even in clarifying and ultimately you know, explaining it well, they still mentioned the possessions, the sheep before the kids. So Moses said to them, not so. In other words, like that's not the right way. Treat the fundamental as a fundamental and the matter of secondary importance as a matter of secondary importance. In other words, you got to know the ikr ikr, and it's, it's beautiful in Hebrew. Ha ikr ikr vaha tafel tafel. You got to know what's ikr and what's tafel. Ikr means primary and tafel means secondary. Like you got to have your priorities straight, right? First, build cities for your children and then enclosures for your sheep. Don't, not the other way around, right? Don't put your possessions before your kids. That was just kind of like a sidebar because the main point was about whether or not they are afraid or not afraid or they're going to fight not going to fight to conquer the land but just even in the request to take this land for the cattle for the livestock and the and the kids you got to put the kids before the before the cattle that's the way it works kids before cattle that's a good um alliteration um yes 
right away we see the message of unity, which you began with today, is already just, you know, uh, broken. I like it. I like it. Wait, you mean broken or... There's no more unity. The tribes... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, right. They're split. Exactly, they're split. Um, But they... Okay, we're going to get into some deeper themes in a moment. Good, good. You're right. Correct. Um, uh, Quickly, children of Israel... Oh, here we go. Take a look. So they said they're going to go before, when they said we're going to fight, and we're going to go in the front lines before the children of Israel. At the head of the troops, Rashi clarifies, in other words, front lines, because they were mighty warriors. For concerning God, it says in Deuteronomy, tearing the arm of his prey together with the head. In other words, they were strong and mighty. Physically, they were strong and a mighty tribe. Moses, too, explained this to them a second time. In the portion of Elad Dvarim, which is Deuteronomy, the first the opening portion in Dvarim, which we'll do next week, Deuteronomy. And I commanded you at this time, saying, Pass over arm before your brothers, children of Israel, all who are warriors. And concerning Jericho, it was written, the armed force went ahead of them. These were the tribes of God and Reuben who were fulfilling their condition. So it actually did play out. In the book of Joshua and the book of Deuteronomy talks about how, you know, them going out in front. Um, so they ultimately did go out in front and they were mighty and it, it all worked out. Um, ba-ba-da-ba-dum. Other side of the Jordan, Western Bank. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we've already received it on the eastern side and they didn't want to budge. Good, so now we have one question left. Beautiful, it's beautiful, it's a story, it's narrative driven, it's easy to read, easy to learn, you know, and, and, but what we're left with is a bit problematic because what we're left with is a story where Moses, the great leader, completely misreads the people. Right. They're asking for land. And at least, if we, if we believe that they didn't adjust the request, but they had not clarified it before, we're left with the question, how can, why didn't Moses ask them to clarify instead of accusing? Because he did accuse them. He, Moses accuses them of not wanting to go to war, of sowing discouragement amongst the rest of the Jewish people. Moses accuses them of copying the ways of their fathers who got them into this big mess in the first place. It's an accusation, essentially. Moses says, how dare you? This is a terrible thing. And then, and then the tribes clarify, no, it's not what we meant. We're going to fight. Da-da-da. We're not discouraging anybody. Okay. So why didn't, this is my question, it, this, or, this story doesn't paint Moses in the best light. Because it shows him as somebody who hears a little bit of information, jumps to conclusions, starts you know, ranting and raving, and then the other party says, calm down, let me explain what we were saying. And then there's clarification. Why not? I mean, Moses was the loving, gentle leader of the Jewish people. Why didn't he say, um, let's make a deal. You want to go in? Uh, sorry, you want this land? Okay, this is, these are the conditions that you'll have to do. Well, why not have a... Why, why, why didn't... First of all, Whenever somebody says something, it's always best practice to ascribe and attribute positive intent. It's it's being a mensch. You don't assume the worst. Somebody says something, you don't assume the worst. You assume the best. It's a a good mida. We're supposed to judge each other favorably. Number one. Number two, at least give the other person a chance to explain. Moses doesn't. He starts accusing them. How dare you? You're, you're staying here, 
you're, you're being lazy, you're being discouraging for the, your brothers, you're going to flare God's anger like your fathers did, all of this stuff. How many verses? Right? From verse 6 all the way through verse 15. Right? What is that, 10 verses? 10 verses of Moses railing into them, railing against them, until they clarify. Why not say, I'm confused, explain, explain your request, I'm, or I'm concerned you know, um, about your request, give me, more, give me more details. He could have said, we can talk about it, we can negotiate, but you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z in order for that to happen, for you to permission to be granted. Why not? Why not do any of those things? doesn't make sense. Why is Moses jumping to conclusions about them and, 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 and in a harsh way? So I want to share with you something. That in truth, this is a profound love story. That's how I mentioned at the beginning of the class. It's one of the greatest love stories ever told. Moses judged them harshly because he could tell that they were lying. He could tell they were lying. What do I mean by that? What I mean is they came to Moses and said, we have all these animals. This is good land for animals. We want to stay here. Moses heard the request. He could tell that they were, they were holding back something. They weren't being honest. He smelled a lie. And because of that, he got suspicious. Well, what's the lie? The lie is that they're afraid of Israel. They're afraid to go in. They don't want to go in. They don't trust God. They don't trust whatever. And he's like, that's terrible. Why did he jump to that conclusion? Because he, he knew, he could tell that they were not being honest with him. It wasn't about the animals. It wasn't about the livestock. It wasn't about the land. It wasn't Baba Mises. Fake news, as the kids say today. And he was right. They were lying. What do I mean they were lying? It wasn't about the livestock. Later on, shortly before his death, Moses reveals to us. That's why you need, sometimes you need to learn all of Torah to put all the pieces together, right? You can't build a puzzle without all the pieces. So we have, when we go through the Torah portion, we're always looking at a piece of the puzzle. But it's good to have a bit of a broader spectrum of, of awareness so that we can start putting together pieces. The end of the book of Devarim, end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses blesses all the tribes before his passing. And Moses says to, I forget if it's Reuven or God, one of these two tribes, you took Chalkat Mechokek, you took the portion of the lawgiver as your land. Who's the lawgiver? Moses. Moses. What does it mean that you took the portion of the lawgiver as your inheritance? You chose the land that the lawgiver would be forever interred. What does that mean? Oh, buried. Buried. What does that mean? Where was Moses buried? In the plains of Moab, in that very spot that today's story took place. Correct? I told you to be in the class today. It has a setting, a time and a place. What's the place? The plains of Moab on the eastern side 
of the Jordan River outside of Israel. Guess who's buried right there? You guessed it, Moses. Why was Moses buried there? Because he was not allowed to enter Israel. And so there he was buried in that space. And the commentaries, some commentaries, tell us that why is it, in truth, that Reuben and God, those two tribes, why did they want the land outside of Israel? Because they didn't want to abandon Moses. Are you with me on this? They didn't want Moses to be buried. And then the entire nation says goodbye and everyone marches into Israel. They, they were heartbroken by that fact. They were heartbroken by that thought. They said, that's not right. That's not okay. That's not, that's not going to happen. So Moses will be buried and we're going to build cities right around. And we'll visit but we'll be in proximity. We're not abandoning our leader. He never abandoned us. We're not going to abandon him. That was their real intention. And it's later on, right before his passing, that Moses realizes what their intention was. He says, These tribes asked for the chalkat mechokik. They asked for the portion of the lawgiver as their land. It wasn't about the livestock. It was never about the livestock. That was a, if a lie is too harsh, fib, white lie, I don't know what that means even. It wasn't the truth. It wasn't the truth. Yeah, it might have also been good for livestock, but don't tell me there's no part of Israel that has good livestock place. Of course there is, right? Why did they specifically want that? You, you could have told Reuben and God, guys, there's a whole land of Israel. There's plenty of places for your livestock. Come on in and let's do it. You want this land because you came... So what? In Israel, there's a place for livestock. No, we want this land. Moses knew something was wrong here. He could smell that there was a lie. So he thought that what was the lie? They, didn't, they were afraid to go in. They weren't afraid to go in. They couldn't bear the thought of leaving Moses behind. That was their secret agenda. They couldn't tell him that. Why not? Because what are they going to say? Right? Moses, we love you. We don't want to leave you alone. We don't want to abandon you. Moses would have said, don't worry about me. Go in. So they concocted a story. Or maybe, it's a, maybe it was men that, that approached. And you know, guys and emotions. You know, maybe, maybe they weren't, you know, they didn't want to, you know. I, I was, I'm sort of joking about that. Or maybe not. I don't know if I'm joking. But here's the point. Their agenda was to not leave Moses behind. But they weren't being upfront about it. And so Moses was suspicious. What's the agenda? He thought, well, maybe it's a negative agenda. Turns out to be a positive agenda or a loving agenda. But the reason why he was suspicious is because there was what to suspect. They weren't being honest about their intentions. Turns out they didn't have nefarious intent. They had actually beautiful intent. Beautiful, beautiful intent. So, turns out that this request, it's not about the livestock, it's not about the... It's a love story. It's a story of a people who are so in love with their leader that they can't bear the thought of abandoning him on the other side of the Jordan by himself. It's a, um, it's a powerful message of people and relationships and a relationship between a leader and a people that is really deep. 
really, really deep. I will say that it fits with the, with the character of Reuben, who is the, when he, the tribe of Reuben, of course, the original was the guy named Reuben, one of the sons of Jacob, who is the biblical character of the one who has great intentions, but in delivery, somehow it gets misconstrued. It kind of, uh, things blow up sometimes. Like Reuben was, yeah. Ray, go ahead. Wasn't, wasn't he the one that was going to go back? Yeah. He was going to go back to get Joseph, but it didn't work out. He was too late. Or he wanted to protect his mother's honor, so he moved his father's bed after uh, Rachel passed away. He had good intentions again, but the, the execution, so to speak, the facilitation of it, it just comes out a little awkward. Or when Joseph, sorry, when Benjamin was taken, when, when, um, when they were, the brothers were going down to Egypt to buy food, and Joseph, who was the viceroy, they didn't know it was Joseph, said, you know, don't come back down here without your little brother, Benjamin. And Reuben says, to the, and they say to the father, and the father says, no way. No one's, and Reuben says, I, I, I'll return him, send him in my care, Benjamin, I'll bring him back to you, and if not, you can kill my kids. And Jacob says, I will. So if he's gone, then I should kill more, more of my family. It, he had good intentions, right? But it's like in the, just his, either the articulation of it, it just didn't exactly come out clearly or work out exactly as if. So again, to me, just following that pattern, it's not that surprising that Reuben here, the tribe Reuben, years later, has wonderful intentions, loving intentions. But, you know, maybe it's just not being upfront you know, completely upfront about one's intentions, and it's just it's a communication hitch. You know, good intentions, but it, it, communication doesn't come out right. So yeah, they love Moses; they don't want to uh, leave him, and they but they figure that I'm not going to say it, so we're going to concoct a story, and that Moses is going to agree to, and then Moses gets upset. So the one that they love, they end up upsetting. You with me on that? How like it it kind of backfires a little bit. I mean, eventually they do get the place, but anyway, that's another mini lesson in that lesson. What's the over -less, overarching lesson? It's about love and caring about others and not abandoning them and being there for them in life and after passing. And I don't know that I can get more specific than that because, you know, that's, that's a, it's a broad lesson. We can all apply it in our own way. All right, that is it for today. So what do we do today? We spoke about love, cattle, and kids. Anyway, Donna. How does that? How does this whole episode impact? You know the Jewish claim to the land of Israel, and then are we still? Rem, are we still? Do we ancestrally related to this outside section of Israel? Yeah, good question. Good question. So my understanding is that as long as the Jews were in and around Israel, that was a part of. I don't know if it's a kosher word or not to use. I don't know if it has other connotations. Annexed? Does that have a negative connotation? Is it yeah. negative? I don't know. I don't know if it is. Yeah. Yeah, it, nowadays, nowadays it does. Okay, but I'm, I'm, I want to use it. I want to use it in more of a clinical term. You know, the maybe adjacent. Yeah. It was you know like Jackie Mason used to say. You know, everybody. Everyone says they live in Beverly Hills. All right, not Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills adjacent. Whatever. So like this was like Israel adjacent. This was like. 
Israel, right there. So as long as they were living there, that, that was part of that was that was part of the land. What does it mean for the holiness of Israel and for the? Oh, it's the greater Israel. It's the greater Israel, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. It's the greater good, right? Like Atlanta and the metro area. So this is like the greater Israel area. Good, good way of saying it. And as long as Jews were there, they were there, and really until probably the exiles, and then they were just again tribe by tribe was picked off in the north anyway. So, whatever. This was the north. This would have been the northeast. Um, now, does that mean that Israel extends to those borders? Was it ever, was it considered to be part of the Holy Land to the point? You can ask a practical question. So let's say, not let's say, there are certain laws, agricultural laws, like certain tithes that have to be given from, or bikurim, the first fruits of produce grown in Israel. Would that apply to the land that was Reuben and God's land out of Israel? Did it have like... You know, the, did it have, did the mitzvot of Israel apply there because it was like kind of Jewish land? Or is it considered Jewish land but outside of Israel? I, I, I know it's discussed and I'm tr trying to remember just, you know, offhand which way it falls. It's definitely discussed in the books. There's an answer. I don't remember the answer. Anyway, but, but it is discussed and it has a status. What it is? We'll have to, we'll have to look it up. I have to remember to look it up. So that is, um, that is that. But yeah, you're asking a good question. But of course, Israel, the rest of Israel, or the mainland Israel, was uh, conquered by the Jewish people, and 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 that holiness was there. Essentially, my understanding is any place that Joshua conquered became the borders of Israel. And I guess the question is, did that land outside ever get that level of I do want to say that I don't know that it had then, but in the future it says when Mashiach comes, the, the land of Israel will be expanded, the borders will be expanded, and maybe it will include that. If Moses was set to not be in Israel, then... Ah, good point. Good point. Yes. Right? Or, or maybe this is what the tribes, because of their love, it wasn't only about keeping in company. Maybe it was also about extending the borders, so even if not formally, but informally, that he should be interred in Jewish land. Ah, you added a... I like that twist. I like that twist. So even if it doesn't have the halachas, even if it doesn't have the, the, the legality, the legal status, the colloquial status would still, either way, would still be there. Hey, Sentry. Okay. Good to see you. Hey. All right, so that's it. Good. I love it. All right, I want to wish everybody a good day and enjoy. What's the weather like in Atlanta? Is it nice? Yes. Tonight, yes. Perfect. Nothing tonight. I think we don't have class tonight. Do we have to? I don't think so. What, what did we have last week? Oh, we finished the third of the three-part series of Curious Hells of the Talmud. Next, ooh, hold on one second. Next Tuesday night, huge event. It's on Zoom, but huge event. It is the Archaeological Secrets of hold on let me get let me get the right phrase it's called the archaeological claim to jerusalem revealing secrets some don't want you to know this is going to be huge yeah so many wonder and and claim that jews have no connection to the land like you guys stole our homeland other people say don't you know we were living there? 
and then the UN gave you a piece of our land. How dare you? As if Jews don't have an original claim to the land. And you wonder, but how do you, what, what's the original claim? Well, let's dig and let's come up with the actual evidence. Evidence, it's a key word today in modern uh, language. Evidence and science. We're going to look at the evidence and the science next Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Do not miss this. Tell your friends. It's fascinating on every level. If you like history, archaeology, Israel, Jews, and other things, you're going to love this event. It's going to be a fantastic one. So that's next, not tonight, next Tuesday night. Don't forget what else is coming up. Thursday night, we're bringing back also Jewish Summer Cinema for another few engagements. We have the Fiddler movie, which we didn't show because it was a rain out that night, plus another two films because we're not just going to make up the one film. We're going to add two more gorgeous, gorgeous films, um, beautiful, um, I don't know if you call them Jewish movies, but like Jewish theme movies. And what else was I going to say? Oh, and then we have a whole slate of programming slew slate whatever a programming coming up stay tuned for more information Rabbi Schusterman tonight is, is launching in person the back again the business yes big huge mm-hmm. jewish business networking event tonight yeah. jbn event tonight at what time is that seven or seven thirty six thirty for dinner six thirty even better open wine bar <laughs> open wine bar dinner and all that good stuff so i i wish i could be there i would be there if i was there but I'm, but I'm here. So, so give my regards and enjoy. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Yes. I'm, I'm just joining. I know I'm an hour late, but I'm in Paris. Better late than never. I forgot. Sandrine's in Paris. That's amazing. And today I went to Le Marais, which is a Jewish neighborhood. And I went to visit the shul where the Rebbe used to daven. Oh my gosh! And I asked them, you know, if I could go in and they gave me a little tour. That's so cool. um, I asked them, what's the name of that shul? And they say, we call it only 17 because it's 17 Rue des Rosiers, like, you know, in that street. Number 17, so just like we have 770. 770, yeah. Paris, it's 17. I love in French. That's yeah. beautiful. So you were in the Rebbe's old shul. Yes. That's crazy. The and, Rebbe was in uh, Paris for a while. He studied at the Sorbonne. He was in Paris, and there's a lot. There's incredible stories about his. This is before he was Rebbe, but there are incredible stories about his time in France. Yeah, and they still have service for Shabbat and um, Kabbalah Shabbat Friday night. The service is at 10 p.m. Because that's so late. Starts late, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and here, I'm not sure what this is. Is this, is that France or somewhere else? I'm kidding. There's some uh, sort of European. Some type of chateau. Some, sure. some yeah. sort of something. Yeah. An old painting. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Great to see everybody. Right. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you guys soon. Regards to your mother. Thanks, I will. I'll give her regards. Thank you. <laughs> See you guys soon. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.